Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. With two ways to win and no rate. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circa Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. I'm joined as always by Armani Buckets, Brandon Deutsch, Jake Dicker. No Jihei with us today. So Brandon, you're going to have to wait a couple of days to give her some grief. The Golden State Warriors are the champions. Wow. what a what, I mean, Jake and I both said Warriors in six. We were right. Just great to see greatness, you know, on the TV with Stephen Curry. It was a f- amazing finals to watch. Even the games that weren't necessarily close, it had a lot of storylines. I mean, Steph, I don't know how you guys feel about this. To me, he's the greatest point guard ever. Um, and in terms of the Celtics going forward, Jason Tatum He's got a lot of questions now to answer in terms of his superstar status. I don't think anybody has him as a superstar at this point in time, but he's still so young, so we have to wait and see what happens later on. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, Jake, you you called it with Brandon, the Warriors, in six games. Yeah, I kind of wish I didn't stray off of that entirely and say that we were going <laughs> to get, uh, get a game seven the other day. But yeah, Warriors in six kind of went exactly how, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the Warriors losing game one and then, you know, winning three straight, but series went kind of how I expected it to. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily have questions about Tatum being a superstar, just, you know, first, uh, first team all NBA. I think he's so young. Um, I think the series is a lot more about Stephen Curry than it says about Jason Tatum, but you know, we'll get into it. And I, I mean, it was a great series. No, it was fantastic. And by the way, like even if you pick the Warriors and say, I think a part of you, unless you're a Warriors fan, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to get a game seven Sunday. That would have been fun. But listen, the Warriors were the best team. Uh, let's get into that right now as we get into to, to, to today's rundown brought to you by Circa Sports. Circa Millions and Circa Survivor Pro Football Contests are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes, visit CircusSports.com for details. Hit it, our money buckets. All right, guys. The Golden State Warriors are NBA champions once again, topping the Boston Celtics 103-90 on Thursday night for their fourth title in the last eight seasons. Steph Curry scored 34 points and was finally named the finals MVP as the Warriors claimed the franchise's seventh championship overall. How does last night change Stephen Curry's legacy, and how is this Warriors team going to be remembered? Listen, there's no doubt about it that Curry, in my view, is a top 10 player. We've talked about that before on the show. I can't, I listen, no matter what he does in his career, Magic Johnson will be my favorite point guard because, like, that was the guy that I grew up with. I grew up with the Showtime Lakers, so I can't call him the greatest point guard, but listen, he's in that conversation. If you're going to sit down 
and say who's the best point guard he is now a part of that conversation but what an amazing performance to go into Boston it is so hard first of all to close out a team but to close them out on the road in Boston tough thing to do if you're a Lakers fan you are ecstatic because the Lakers and the Celtics are now still tied for the most championships but what this does to your question the Warriors, this current Warriors team, which they're not going away, and we'll talk about it. They are once again favored to win next year. They are now going to be talked about as one of the great teams of all time. And again, this team has changed over time. But again, four championships, you know, six finals run, incredible run so far. Yeah, and, you know, I'll just add to this. I, I don't think that Stephen Curry winning the finals MVP really changed anything for me. He was already top 10. It just kind of cemented a legacy. And he's not done. You know, he probably gets back there in the next couple of years. I know the Clippers are good, and we'll get into that in the next question. Uh, Nuggets, you know, the Mavericks with Christian Wood, stacked Western Conference, really. But this is a team built for success. It's going to be interesting to see, since they have bird rights on Jordan Poole um, and Andrew Wiggins, uh, how are they going to extend both? They can, but their luxury tax bill will be like $200 million. And I mean, if that's fine, they'll probably do that anyways because they just want to win so bad. And this is a dynasty. It's great to see. Stephen Curry, I, I'm with you, Raj. Magic Johnson's the greatest point guard ever. The way he changed the game of basketball. And defensively, he's 100 times better than Stephen Curry. No no disrespect to Stephen Curry's defense at all. Like, he's he's gotten better as a defender, but he's not Magic Johnson. I mean, Magic Johnson, underrated defender. So that's why I can't put Stephen Curry above him, but he is top 10 all time. What Witnessing greatness. I just love to see it. We live in an era of sports media where a lot of times guys are unfairly scrutinized, and I felt like Steph's career after Kevin Durant was headed that way. And for his sake, I'm very glad that he was able to get one more on his own and solidify his legacy as, like you guys mentioned, the top 10 player to ever play the game. Now, in terms of his all, like all-time legacy, I still don't think, and I, I, I think you guys are probably on the same wavelength, I still don't think he's reached Kobe Bryant. I still don't think he's reached Tim Duncan. But man, that guy is one of the greatest to ever play basketball. And not only that, but this Warriors legacy now, Clay Thompson, even though he had a kind of not a vintage game six play performance, but the, the way that he came back from the injury, Draymond Green. And then we've mentioned this throughout the throughout the months of the playoffs, but Jonathan Kuminga, James Wiseman, Moses Moody, Jordan Poole, this dynasty could have, I guess, three separate stages to it. And the third stage might have just begun. Maybe we haven't even seen the third stage begin, if you want to call it that. But what a team and what a run. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it's what there is to say that you guys haven't already said, but what I was going to bring up is what Armani hit on at the end right there. Um, this, this team's not going anywhere. Their young core is solid. Um, Steph doesn't look like he's his regression is going to be starting anytime soon. Clay, I don't even think is back to, to full health. I think we're going to see a better version of Clay next year, given a full off season of him in the gym um, than we saw this year. We'll see what they do with Wiggins and Poole, as you know, Brandon said they have decisions to make there. But last night, you know, Steph's a top ten player of all time now in my mind for sure. He was kind of fringe ten, twelve 
um, in my mind before. He's he's you know well in the top ten now. I think it was huge for him to get one without Durant, especially with this this Warriors team, which is by far the least talented of four. Um, I think it says a lot about Steph Curry and who he is as a leader and as a champion. Um, but yeah, it's just you know this Warriors team is not going anywhere, and I think that you know they'll be back next year. As we said, they're the the odds-on favorite to repeat. You know, the amazing thing is that the appreciation Steph Curry had, I mean, like, if this was a championship contending team from year one to now, that would be one thing. But we have to remember, the year the Lakers won the championship, the pandemic year, the Warriors had the worst record in basketball. And so when you go through something like that, and of course, it's not a shock. They didn't have Clay, Steph was hurt, things like that. But... When you go from being humbled like that to being the worst team in the league, people are saying you're done, and then to once again reclaim your throne, you can see the emotion in his face. He has the appreciation of the moment. And so from here on out, um, and by the way, the, the unique thing about this group is they like each other. For whatever reason, you look back at Shaq and Kobe, you look back at Jordan and Pippen and that run, Something happens, and I can't explain it, but like someone wants more credit, whether it's the GM with, you know, Krause with the Chicago Bulls, and we saw that in the documentary. Somebody wants something. It just seems with this group, they want to be together for a long, long time. And again, I'm not saying that they're for sure going to continue to win, but that's the difference that I see. This team is built to continue to win. I think it's also important to note how underrated Steve Kerr's coaching is. Um, and a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, this is Stephen Curry, this is Clay Thompson, this is, but who built that? Like Mark Jackson helped build it and then Steve Kerr came in and just obliterated expectations, winning championship after championship after championship. And for people, and you're right, Arash, for people to doubt this team and them to get back here, their redemption story to win, it's really great for sports, whether you're a Warriors fan or not, to see like, this quote dynasty that people thought would never be back come back and just win another championship and they're not done yet so it's great to see but i just want people to understand steve kerr underrated one of the best coaches of all time in my opinion definitely of the past 20 years and then bob myers plays chess while every other gm plays checkers i mean that guy's a genius ucla legend by the way i hate to say it for usc guys but bob myers is a genius an absolute genius and it's just a well-run organization also andrew wiggins lockdown defense on tatum doesn't get enough love he shut that guy down two straight games it's amazing because as soon as they all got to the podium, it, it seemed like they all have the same mindset, which is to thank and credit everybody else around them and not themselves. Steve Kerr was, was pulled aside by Lisa Salters, and the first thing he said is, I got to give credit to the guys and to Bob Myers because without them, I wouldn't be here. And that's what the thing is. Talk is cheap because a lot of teams will say the right things. But this team, you could see it. They have absolutely no egos and no. It's all about the unit. It's not at all about the individual, even going all the way down to guys like Iguodala, who was too hurt to basically play in the finals. And he was so impactful for them as a leader leading Gary Payton on the sidelines during that one stretch and then he had the stretch at the end where he had a moment with Andrew Wiggins and it's like does Golden State see this version of Andrew Wiggins if it wasn't for the leadership of Iguodala it's all about the whole collective and 
it's just such a unit and such a joyous team to watch. I can't wait to see what the future holds for them. Yeah, yeah Arash, you touched on it. It's so much easier to win when you like each other. Um, Draymond told a story the other day that they, they were on a plane um, and Bob Myers walked to the back of the plane and saw Steph, Draymond, and Clay sitting at the same table that the three of them have sat, uh, sat at on, play, on their uh, team plane for the last decade. And you just laugh and said, this, this doesn't happen. Like, guys aren't on the same team for a decade, let alone, you know, like each other and sit at the same table and be able to put up with each other's conversations for a decade. Um, when the top of a team that is so good, like when your leadership is that connected, um, I mean, it just fizzles through the rest of the organization. And you just, as, as you said, everyone was thanking everyone else. Um, it's truly, I mean, these guys are a real team, which you don't necessarily see all the time in professional sports. That aspect kind of gets lost when you have a bunch of, you know, clashing egos from time to time. But I mean, that makes this team that much scarier going forward is that it's so much easier to play when you're, I mean, when you're genuinely getting along. Trey Turner talked about it with the Nationals in 2020 uh, or 2021 whenever that was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this team's not going anywhere. I wanted to add one last thing on this topic. And I think it's important for people to note that our NBA, or people to understand that our NBA fans, I bring up the statistic a lot of times that nine out of the last 10 champions have had a top 10 NBA defensive rating, but it's top 11 actually, because there was a couple of years where Golden State had a top three offense with KD, but 11th in defensive rating. Now, let me say this, stressor of defense. Since 2005, 2005, every single champion, minus the Cleveland Cavaliers when LeBron came back and beat the Warriors because they had a top three offensive rating, has had a defensive rating of 11th or higher in the NBA. How crazy is that? So the importance of defense, unless you have a LeBron, even the LeBron teams were, were defense, right? A lot of them. Um, so the importance of getting better defensively. And when we talk about Brooklyn, which we'll get into next, yeah, being the uh, favorite next year. Are you kidding me? They don't play defense. They're not winning. I don't care who they have. They're, they don't play defense. Charlotte Hornets, Atlanta Hawks, they don't play defense. So they're not winning a championship. Speaking of next season's championships, the odds for next season are already out and the Golden State Warriors are the favorites to repeat. The Warriors are plus 550 currently. <laughs> And they are followed by the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics, the LA Clippers, and the Milwaukee Bucks. What are your thoughts on next season's odds? All right, so here's the thing. I mean, you're going to laugh at this. I think the Lakers at plus 2,000, and I'll go down the list real quick, uh, just like you did. Warriors, Nets, Celtics, Clippers, Bucks, Suns, Heat, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Sixers, Nuggets, Lakers. The reason that I'm going to take a flyer on the Lakers, you have LeBron James and D'Anthony Davis. Plus 2,000 is crazy. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to win the whole thing, but those are great. Uh, I mean, you're basically 20 to 1. So you put a, a few bucks down, and I feel pretty good about that. I will let you guys chime in, but the one thing that I'm very excited about, and I want to get your guys' thoughts, I am so excited for the Warriors versus the Grizzlies next season. The fact that Klay Thompson had a Jalen Jackson mark tweet on his mind the moment he won the championship I cannot wait again the Grizzlies uh, won the season series three games to one that was a six game series that probably should have gone seven if the Grizzlies were healthy and they could have won I am so excited and I don't know how good the Grizzlies will be next season by the way great like odds there plus 1500 I'm so excited for that game 
Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I'll start off with this. The Grizzlies are going to be like a dynasty type Warriors, not to the championship extent, but they're going to be in like the second round, you know, Western Conference Finals a lot if John Morant stays healthy. I mean, he's unguardable. No one can guard him. And that's super important. And they have three, they got to get better three point shooting. We talked about that, right? But defensively, they're a top five defensive team. And they have a top five offensive rating last year. Let's see if that stands. So that's going to be a dangerous team. It's going to be cool to see Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Moran kind of jaw back at the Warriors. And yes, Arash, I agree with you. As people label the Lakers right now a clown show, the 33 wins, all that stuff, they still have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And at worst, even with Russell Westbrook on the roster, they have close to a 5% chance to win the NBA championship at their health. 5%, right? So at least, at least, at the very least, because you have two of the best players in the world. So 2000 is kind of a steal. Yeah, do you want some, do you want to add, Arash? No, but, but, but what I was going to say is like that that is an amazing stat that if they cared enough on the defensive side, yeah. you know, and again, what an amazing stat you had. If you're, if you're one of the, you know, top 11 defenses, and to your point, Brandon, when they won the championship and even the year of following that when they lost to the Suns, they, they were top five, right? They were first. Wow. They shouldn't have broken up that team. If yeah. they were healthy, they beat the Suns. They beat every team except maybe the Bucks. They lose yeah. to. You don't know. They get to the finals. I can guarantee you that if they if if the eight Davis was healthy. Something that's yeah. interesting here too is Phoenix Suns plus eight fifty. I don't like those odds at all. They're going to lose DeAndre Aiden most likely, um, and they just haven't shown tenacity like other teams. I really don't like their chances of even finishing in the top five of the Western Conference next year. I don't know how the odds makers saw what happened in the playoffs and had the Nets at the second best odds <laughs> tied with the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics swept them. And then not only that, how are they ahead of the Bucks? Because I think I <laughs> the Bucks are the, are the favorite in the Eastern Conference, right, Armand? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it seems like a healthy Chris Middleton and the Bucks are probably in the NBA Finals and maybe even beat the Warriors. Who knows? I don't want to get into all that, but the Bucks at fifth is kind of ridiculous. And then just going down the list, I, I still think Dallas, after the move they made, and they beat the Suns. Like, how are they so far below the Suns? I, yeah. I, I don't understand some of these odds, but I think they definitely got it right with Golden State being the slight favorite to repeat. And then the Clippers and the Celtics would be my two and three going into the offseason. Oh, I also think I want to add this. Denver Nuggets plus 1,700. It's a good, that's yeah. a good bet because yeah. if they're fully, yeah, if they're fully healthy, Jokic is coming off two back-to-back -back MVP seasons. I know people are going to say, oh, well, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have that personality. Like he wants to win and stuff like that. But boy, I'm telling you, he would trade those two final, those two MVPs for a finals MVP in a heartbeat. So they're going to be really good, especially if Michael Porter Jr. can come back healthy, improve, and Jamal Murray, of course. And what they're going to do in the draft, very yeah. important. Yeah, my favorite value on the board is the Miami Heat at plus 1,400. Um, I think the fact that they're at plus 1,400 and the Nets are, are sitting at plus 600 is a little ridiculous. Uh, this is a team that was one game away from the NBA Finals, playing with like half of Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson didn't touch the floor. Um, I think given give Pat Riley a full offseason to work to work with a team that you know now is a solidified leader in Jimmy Butler. Um, Bam is one of the top defensive players in the league, one of the best big men in the league. Um, the value at plus 1400 I'm not saying that I think they're the favorite to win the title in my eyes but at that at plus 1400 I think it's worth you know throwing a couple bucks 
What's up with Chicago being 60 to 1? They're not even on the, the list that, that I shared with you, Armand. That is ridiculous because the Eastern Conference is like a three-team race. We should definitely be, I mean, 30 to 1. If, if, the, <laughs> if the Sixers are 15 to 1, to have the Bulls at 60 to 1 seems outrageous. And I'm not happy about the direction the Bulls are going in. It's just speaking solely off the fact that it's the Celtics, the Bucks, Miami... And then who else is in the East that can contend? If you guys believe in Brooklyn or the Sixers, I don't know. But to me, I no I way, no the, way. The Bulls are in the same category. Harden's never winning a championship. Yeah, the Bulls are in the same category as those two teams to me. So I don't understand how they're so far below the Nets and the Sixers. Well, also, also if Lonzo comes back and they draft a couple guys, they're going to be better defensively. So they have a shot. Yeah, that's that's a ridiculous. I can't believe it. Sixty to one. <laughs> that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, was there some transaction that it wasn't? Because here's the thing: like, Chicago is like a big time team. There's a lot of fans. I mean, generally speaking, if you're a popular team, you're like gods are good. You know. But by the way, the one that really does not make any sense to me, and we'll talk about this perhaps when we come back, the Brooklyn Nets. That really doesn't make any. I mean, I mean, we saw how that played out. Like, so I get it. You you made that mistake a year ago, but the fact that you would put the Brooklyn Nets, what a train wreck! What a you know what show that was. And I mean, they're they're basically pretending like we didn't see what happened. Okay, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, we'll be joined by Renata Simrel, the president and CEO of the LA Haiti uh, Four Foundation, and Michael Duarte from KNBC Four in Los Angeles. When we come back on the Mightier Ten Nine. In Southern California, the fan in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. With two ways to win and no rate. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circa Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or a comment or just want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Los Angeles, Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline 310 310- 400-0340. Okay, let's go out to the Circus Sports guest hotline right now. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor Pro Football Contest with $12 million in guaranteed prizes are back. Visit CircusSports.com for details. And here he is, our good friend, Michael Duarte from KNBC4 in Los Angeles. Michael, how are you? Rosh, call me Johnny Depp because I'm back, back on the Arash Markazi show. You are back and you and Nick were uh, kind enough to uh, join us on Wednesday and now just you today. Since I last saw you, Michael, because I was there for the first game of the Freeway Series and we'll uh, bring in uh, Jake here momentarily because he was at the game. Okay, so you're sitting there um, 
you're like in the press box. I know where you're, where you're seated, perfect location. Um, at what point are you thinking, oh my goodness, I may be watching a no hitter. Definitely not after the first five minutes of the game, because there was a <laughs> blue fly ball as I'm like, you know, in my seat, unpacking my stuff, uh, getting ready to eat dinner and a blue fly ball. Looks like an easy catch for Cody Bellinger. Only Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts run into each other. The ball drops and on the official scoreboard for, I would say, a good five to ten minutes, it was a hit. So I look up. I see a hit. Okay, move on. He gets thrown out at second, obviously. The game continues on. Uh, And it wasn't until I would say about the fourth or fifth inning, I looked back up and was like, oh, they changed that ruling from a hit to an error. And... Now there is a no-hitter in progress, but it's only the fourth or fifth inning, so I'm not going to say anything. It's too early. Uh, and then when it got into the sixth and then the seventh, and you had that little kind of dribbler down the line by Walsh, and, and Tyler Anderson fields it and spikes it to the ground for another error. That was a kind of weird, interesting play. Some people on social media believe that uh, that should have been a hit uh, and that maybe Tyler Anderson threw the ball on the ground on purpose. That's not how I looked. It looked like an easy out to me, and he just didn't have grip on the ball. So that's when I, I, I'm like, okay, this could seriously happen. That's when a Russian, as you know, I have to go alert the news desk. Hey, there's a no hitter in progress. We might want to get ready uh, to push this, to go live on this, to let people know it's happening there who have the NBCLA app. Uh, and then that's, that's kind of the way I, and I never really tweeted the word no hitter until about the seventh, eighth inning. I really didn't want to jinx it or blow it. Um, but then I took my binoculars out as you see, and you know, you know, my whole setup of Rosh and I'm looking at, I'm looking at Tyler Anderson every time he's out in the mound after every pitch, I'm looking at him after every inning when he's in the dugout. And I was concerned he was massaging his left elbow. He was massaging his left shoulder. He was angsty in the, in the dugout. He was kind of pacing back and forth. He'd go down to the bathroom below and then come back up. Uh, He had a medicine ball. He kept throwing against the wall of the far corner of the dugout. Uh, Even on the mound, he was rubbing his elbow and stuff, but, at the end of the day, the ball was coming out of his arm uh, like lightning, as if it was shot from the quiver from Zeus himself, Arash. He was absolutely perfect. And for those fans, and I'm interested in hearing what Jake has to say, you know, from Clayton Kershaw on his very first start of the season in Minnesota, where he was pulled from a no-hitter, to the fact that Dave Roberts let him go out and throw 123 pitches and really try for this thing, I think is the story here. Uh, more than you know, him being two outs away from it, more than Shohei Otani breaking up the no-hitter on Japanese <laughs> Heritage Night of All Nights, more than any of that, the fact that Dave Roberts, the Grim Reaper himself, the man who Mr. Pull You from the game, despite a no-hitter or a perfect game, let Tyler Anderson go for history. And um, I liked I liked that part of it, and I'm interested in hearing what, um, what Jake had to say yeah. for being a fan of the stands. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you brought up the first play of the game after the you know the fly ball that was caught and then wasn't caught. I, I was with a group of family friends and I looked at them and I, I jokingly said, "All right, he's not going to give up a hit for the rest of the game, and that's going to be <laughs> it." So throughout the game, there was kind of this running joke amongst the six of us that like, "Oh, like he's going to throw, he has to throw a no hitter now because you know what of what I said in the first inning." Um, and yeah, I guess it just kind of got to the point in the fifth or sixth where it was like, "This is great, but he's thrown way too many pitches and." you know, who calls the shots for the Dodgers. He's not going to finish this. But then I started thinking it's not, it's not stripling in his first career start. It's not Kershaw coming off a multitude of injuries. 
I mean, it's Tyler Anderson, who's you know, he's been a journeyman starter in the league. You know, what's what's 130, 140 pitches going to do to his arm at this point in his career that he hasn't already done to his arm? Um, but I mean, it was it was great. It was at that point. It was if he goes out for the eighth. Yeah, I think he finished the seventh at like 97, 98 pitches. If he goes out for the eighth, you had to let him go out for the ninth. You can't let him, you know, throw the eighth and not the ninth. So I was, lo- Michael, I was locked to your Twitter the entire time between the innings, <laughs> trying to figure out because because I could just, I was sitting on the field though. I was in section eight, so I was I had my eyes on Dave, but I couldn't see what was going on underneath. So I was locked to your Twitter. I'm like, he's working with a medicine ball and he's rubbing his shoulder, and I'm like, all right, if I just need to see this guy come back out because I was with short story, I was with my dad, and forever my dad has told me. One thing, the one thing he wants to do before he dies is see a no hitter uh, live. So I wanted, I really wanted it more for him than I did for myself. Um, I mean, but it was, I mean, it was a great night. I thought as soon, I thought he had to get Trout. I thought if he got Trout in the ninth, then then he was gonna he was gonna finish it off. Um, but you know, Tani's the reigning league MVP. It was it was a great night. I think the whole thing did kind of center around though: is Dave gonna let Sky go or not? It kind of took away from what Anderson was doing on the mound. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great night at uh, at the ravine on Wednesday for sure. There's no cheering in the press box, Michael. But when something like that happens, uh, you know, there's a lot of curmudgeons in uh, sports media, and they would rather have a blowout so they can finish their story. What was the scene vibe like in the press box when? Okay, you get into the ninth. You have a no hitter. You got one out. You're two outs away, and then Shohei Otani. I mean, again, the the problem there is if you have not been in a press box, but basically the entire story that you've written up and down to that point, you highlight and you almost have to delete it. What was the scene like there, Michael? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because this was an interesting press box, an interesting game. The press box is packed, as you saw on Tuesday night. So it's packed not only because you have basically both LA medias who cover the beats for both the Dodgers and the angels all combining because they're that kind of there anyway. So the LA times, for example, has like six people there. Um, The entire back row is Japanese media. Most of the time they're at, they're at angel stadium covering Shohei Otani, but tonight they're there for Japanese heritage night. They're there to meet Ken Watanabe, uh, the actor who who threw out the ceremonial first pitch. They're there for Shohei Otani. Uh, The Japanese media was freaking out when Shohei Otani broke up the no, hitter they were actually like really excited it was him that did it but obviously they wanted to see history and witness a no hitter live too but in the atmosphere in the press box then i want to touch upon something that jake said real quick the atmosphere in the press box was very as jake mentioned is dave roberts gonna let tyler anderson (laughs) go and finish this and i thought from my position and thanks for following along on my twitter because i was on pins and needles as well throughout this performance i thought and it was at 99 pitches actually after the seventh inning. And now, so I'm looking up his career high. I'm looking up his season high, season high, 101 pitches. He's two away. Okay. He's done it already this year. Let him go back out for the eighth. His career high in pitches was 108 back in, I think, 2018 or 19 with the Rockies. So I'm like, okay, maybe they'll let him get to 108, but probably no more than 110. But it was very clear after kind of a weird, shaky eighth inning that he was going to have to exceed that if he wanted to finish out this no hitter. And you had Evan Phillips getting up in the bullpen. You had Craig Kimbrell up in the bullpen for the ninth. And I know they were kind of like emergency. As soon as he gives up a hit, pull him in. 
But, you know, I, I really wasn't sure. I, I thought he would be done after nine. And you're right. The situation is different. It's not Ross Stripling coming off of Tommy John in his first ever career start. It's not Rich Hill pitching in Miami with a bloody blister on his finger that's blood coming on the ball after every pitch. It's not Clayton Kershaw in his first start of the season after coming off a multitude of injuries uh, and didn't have enough time in a short spring train to build up. It's not any of those situations. But it is a guy that's had a lot of injuries in his career. Um, he's had a very successful season for you. He's a perfect 8-0. He's arguably your second best starter right now. Walker Bueller just went on the IL for the next several months. You don't really have any starting pitching help. So if this guy has dead arm and throws it out in this one game, you've kind of you know, screwed yourself, excuse my language, moving forward as far as, you know, if something were, were to happen with Tyler Anderson. So, you know, Jake, from where you were there, when he came out for the ninth, the roar of the crowd was incredible because they knew that Dave was letting him go for it too. And he had to face three-time MVP Mike Trout to lead off that inning and then the reigning MVP Shohei Otani next. Uh, I love the fact that Mookie Betts, even though he had no chance of catching that ball, dove full out uh, to try to keep the no-hitter intact. And one last thing I'll say about all of this, uh, two things, Arash. One, after the seventh inning, I believe, and you can see this because Jake was following me on Twitter. He saw it too. Mark Pryor went up to Dave Robertson. It was Mark Pryor, Dave Roberts, and Bob Guerin putting their heads together, obviously talking about what they're going to do and if they're going to let him in, talking with Dave Roberts afterwards. That was exactly the conversation that they were having. And the conversation was his pitch count is too high. We're probably not going to let him go finish this. So Mark Pryor then goes and sits next to Tyler Anderson. And essentially what Tyler Anderson told me after the game was Mark told him, yeah, your pitch count's a little too high. There's no chance you're going to finish <laughs> off. So go out there in the eighth and just throw strikes. Try to get outs as quickly as possible and as less pitches as possible. And we'll see what happens. So Tyler didn't think he would finish the game either. But the fact that he went out there and throw strikes and you know was getting outs was what enabled him to keep going to try to finish it by the time he made the ninth. And then the final thing I'll say is th this moment for your listeners. As Dave Roberts comes out to get the ball after the no-hitter, um, was broken up with with two outs remaining in the ninth inning. Dave says, this is your moment. Soak it up. Enjoy it. And takes the ball from Tyler Anderson. And Tyler says, this would have been my moment if I had just gotten two more outs. And then tips his cap to the crowd as he walks off to a standing ovation. I thought that was a really good moment. And really for a guy that, you know, there's, a, there's an article that's now floating around on social media, a screenshot saying that the Angels dodged right. a bullet by <laughs> yeah. not signing Tyler Anderson this offseason. So the fact that this came against them, another ironic twist to Rosh, Reed Detmers was the opposing pitcher for that game. Wow. The only pitcher in MLB this season who actually has thrown a solo no-hitter. So a lot of cool storylines throughout the day. Uh, a lot of conversations in that press box of whether or not he was going to finish it. Ultimately, fans got to see a, a no-hitter up until the last few minutes of a game. Uh, and that was really cool and special to be around that atmosphere for as long as it was uh, and then not have to like panic and frazzle and run on the field and everything that would have happened had the no-hitter been completed. Yeah. Jake, but by the way, what was the atmosphere like in terms of like, we know how loud that place got late, but, you know, the Dodger Stadium, and I will say it just because it's true. I mean, it is a tough ballpark to go into, to leave. I think that's largely why a lot of people leave in like the seventh or the eighth. You can't leave a no hitter. What was it like? I mean, you personally, would you normally stay for the complete game? Yeah, I, I always stay for the complete game. And unless, unless I have some reason to get out of there. 
Um, but you'd be surprised. There were still people. I mean, there were people behind me, the uh, direct row behind me that left after Mike Trout's at bat. <laughs> That's crazy. Like mid ninth <laughs> inning. Um, but it was, I mean, I've been to my fair share of playoff games over the last couple of years, over the last, you know, over this run of NLS championships and deep playoff runs. And, and that, that noise at the end there, I mean, it was, it was comparable to some, some NLDS, NLCS games um, that I've been to. The crowd was, I mean, eating it all up and absolutely loving it. I mean, everyone wanted to see history at that point. Um, I think even some of the Angels fans just wanted him to finish it off so they could say that, you know, they witnessed history because the game was, I mean, I think it was four or five, four nothing at the time. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was an incredible, incredible atmosphere on Wednesday night. So, Michael, we uh, had uh, game six of the finals last night. The NBA season is done. Get your quick thoughts on that. But I do also want to get your thoughts on going into next season. The odds are out for next season. The Warriors are once again the favorites to repeat, followed by the Nets, the Celtics, the Clippers at plus 700, and all the way down there at plus 2,000, 20 to 1. The Lakers, and I, again, I'm not saying that they're going to win it all, but love those odds for a team that has two of the potentially two of the top five players in the league. Uh, your thoughts on the finals, and then going into who you think can win it all in the next season? Yeah, twenty to one. I saw that same post as far as the odds, Arash. And you know, the reason why the Lakers are usually favorites, even when you know we don't really think they're going to win the finals, is because so many people bet on the Lakers. They're just one of those things that. Uh, gamblers like to go put their money on you know the favorites yeah. and uh it's the same thing in baseball yankees and dodgers have the most money put on them to win the world series before each and every season it's just kind of how it is uh, as far as game six is concerned you know i don't want to pat myself on the back garage but i was right the warriors were the ones before the playoffs i said the warriors would get there they'd win it all uh they backed me up they did it uh and what i'm just happy for is you know a guy that has been getting beat up on a lot. Nobody saw him. He went and chased some rings. Andre Iguodala wins another <laughs> ring. Arash. Right. He's an all-time good guy. But kidding aside, Steph Curry finally winning finals MVP in a year where he also won the All-Star Game MVP, silencing the doubters, uh, silencing the critics who said he couldn't do it without Kevin Durant. Uh, and speaking of the odds, I don't remember the odds, but the Warriors were very close to being like 20 to 1 before the season, nobody had them winning the finals this year, even though they had the team to do it and they had a full and healthy Clay Thompson returning at some point in the year. And Clay was clutch, as you saw in the in the postseason. And I honestly thought this was going to go to a game seven, especially when it was 19 to four Celtics uh, to start the game. You know, a fear ran through me like the chill of an icy wind. Is, is this not going to happen tonight? Are this, uh, the Warriors not going to be able to pull it off? But, you know, that's what we talked about, Arash. They can go on a run and get hot so quickly that you can go from being up double digits to down 20 like like that, like the snap of the fingers. Yeah. And that's exactly what we saw happen uh, to the Celtics last night and let the Warriors kind of hang on there and win. And there was really no drama or anticipation late. Uh, as far as next season, I don't know I do like the Warriors to get there. I want to see this is all going to be the NBA is very crazy because it's such a you know star driven sport. And teams and players move all the time. DeAndre Ayton's a free agent. Are the Suns going to bring him back? Does that affect them? Does that hurt them? What's going to happen with Ben Simmons and the Nets? They're at the top up there. Uh, there's a lot of question marks going in, but I do like the Lakers at 20 to 1. I don't think they're going to win the finals, but as far as odds are concerned, those are great odds because you never know what they're going to be able to pull together. So uh, I like that. But if you want to talk about the Lake Show, uh, Darvin Ham. The Lakers' new head coach went on the Dan Patrick show on Thursday 
And Dan Patrick, you know, applause to him, put Darvin's hands feet to the fire, <laughs> asking him specifically, how do you fix Russell Westbrook when this guy's, you know, 32 years old, 33 years old, he's a veteran, he's not as he's a tiger who's not going to change his stripes. And I thought that was a very good question. And Darvin Ham said, basically, I'm going to have to get Russ to commit on defense and it all starts on the defensive end. Uh, Frank Vogel, a very good defensive minded coach was unable to do that and benched him late in games because he wasn't playing defense and wasn't sticking to the defensive game plan. So it'll be interesting to see how Darvin Ham can get him to commit uh, more on that side of the ball. And also talking about Anthony Davis, basically saying his plan to keep Anthony Davis healthy is to not have him playing hard in the first quarter and to save it for the fourth quarter. I thought that was odd too. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on the Lakers and the odds and then the NBA finals. And we didn't touch on this in the first segment, so I'll, I'll get your uh, thoughts on this now. FIFA announced Los Angeles will be one of the 16 North American cities to host World Cup games. And Michael, there was some talk, is SoFi, can it host World Cup games because of the configuration? It can, it will. SoFi Stadium will host World Cup games. And again, you, you talk about it. And we've, we've, we we were there, Michael, when they were, you know, broke ground, constructing the place that, that it was the hope, home of the Super Bowl. This year, it'll be the home of the World Cup, the Olympics. Your thoughts on the World Cup, Michael, for the first time since 1994, coming to Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, that was inevitable, right? That was yeah. an inevitable, it was inevitable as the dog that barks at the cat. And we know that was happening. And Arash, I loved your tweet as far as the events that are going on at SoFi Stadium in the coming years. You were on it like a NASCAR pit crew. So that was applause and, and my flowers to you. Uh, no surprise, like I said, that Los Angeles and SoFi would be one of the host cities uh, on the the. North American World Cup, as they call it. And I like that they're expanding and letting Mexico and Canada and the whole, you know, the whole region really uh, host this thing. It's I think that's pretty cool, uh, especially when, you know, there was a lot of controversy over Qatar, uh, which will be hosting the World Cup in December of this year, hosting this one up here. So to have the entire North American continent hosting the 2026 World Cup will be very exciting. And I think it's going to be great for soccer here in the United States uh, and just continue to build on the momentum that MLS is going with. Uh, you and I talked about this, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, where the final is being held yeah. and when that is announced, because I would have loved a final at SoFi Stadium. It's the best stadium in the world, in my opinion, and and it's not, uh, you know, bias. That's what I've heard from people from all over the world who've come to just visit it and check it out. They love it. But the way it's configured, it's configured for football, for NFL football, yeah. and the field itself is not big enough, wide enough uh, for the actual dimensions of what a pitch should be for soccer, especially the World Cup final. There was talks that they would literally knock out seats and remove <laughs> seats down in the front to try and add more grass and turf to try to make it uh, the right size and the right dimensions for the final. But what I'm hearing is that it could be a, a semifinal matchup or a quarterfinal matchup at SoFi and that you might see the final maybe somewhere like the Meadowlands in New York uh, or, or somewhere else. So that'll be interesting. And, and the Rose Bowl not getting any games was actually shocking and surprising to me too. host of the last time the final for the World Cup was held in the United States. That was shocking to me too, Michael. I mean, I would have thought just for history's sake, for example, with the Olympics being in Los Angeles, they're going to loop in the Coliseum. So the Coliseum and SoFi will play a role in the, the, the opening ceremony, closing ceremony. I thought they would have done a tip of the cap to the Rose Bowl. An amazing host obviously had the World Cup final. Uh, there, but 
we'll see. I mean, again, just happy that SoFi will be hosting it. Uh, Michael, amazing job as always. Two times this week. Thank you so much, my friend. That's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again on Monday. Until then, this is Arash Markhazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.